Ode to Joy is the final movement from Beethoven's Symphony No. 9. The music was inspired by the poem, or ode, written in the late 18th century by Friedrich Schiller. And the melody has inspired millions throughout the years. Demonstrators in Chile sang Ode to Joy during demonstrations against the Pinochet dictatorship. Chinese students broadcasted at Tiananmen Square. Leonard Bernstein led the performance on Christmas Day after the fall of the Berlin Wall. Composed in the early 1820s, it was intended to be a unifying call to German nationalism. A century later, Adolf Hitler loved it. Musicians waiting for their deaths in Nazi concentration camps were ordered to play it. In the 1970s, the pro-apartheid administration of Rhodesia, later renamed Zimbabwe, used the tune as a national anthem, but changed the lyrics. To this day, Ode to Joy can cause painful emotional reactions in Zimbabwe. It is rare, something that can bring such joy can also conjure such sadness. Well, no it's not. Today on Stories and Strategies, why true positivity needs a little negativity. My name is Doug Downs. My guest this week is Josephine Tight from the Positivity Center in Calgary, Alberta. Hello, Josephine. Hi, Doug. And Josephine, it's a joy to have you with us here today. Facetious, are you? Well, maybe a little bit of a cynic, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Josephine, you're the founder of the Positivity Center. You have a bachelor's degree from the University of Calgary with a minor in Italian studies, and you're a graduate of the Langley Group's Positive Psychology and Wellbeing course. All right, Josephine, what the heck is positivity and why should I care? I think you should care a lot. Positivity gets a bad rap. You know, sometimes it's known for always trying to be happy and be joyful and optimistic through every single thing that comes your way. The reality is it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Positivity is about building mental and social resources by experiencing positive emotions and some negative emotions. And doing that and going through that helps us to leverage good times and get through hard times. So without positivity, we would get stuck in a dark, deep, downward spiral. We would feel hopeless. So we need positivity to keep us moving through life. And sometimes that means we, we sit in difficult times to figure out what are they telling us? Where should we go from here? But we don't want to sit in the darkness. I guess negativity is a part of positivity and it's helpful, but too much of it turns it into hopeless experience. I'm a Beatles fan. Paul McCartney has always been my favorite Beatle, mainly because he was so positive all the time. He wrote a song in the 60s and played it for John. The lyrics went, I've got to admit it's getting better. It's getting better all the time. Lennon added one lyric to the song. It couldn't get much worse.
Josephine, why did John have to ruin that song? I don't know. Did he ruin it? I think we all need to allow for different emotional experiences in life. And sometimes life does feel like it couldn't get much worse. And then the last thing that person needs is a dope of super duper positive happiness. Uh, so we need to meet people where they are. And I think there's always two sides to every paradigm and every story. I know you have a really neat way of envisioning this concept of positivity using an abacus and life domains. Walk me through that. Yeah, I actually recently started thinking about how could I explain what positivity can look like in real life for people. And so this vision of an abacus came to mind. We use an abacus. Typically, it's known for mathematics and originates in China. But one of the things we can do with an abacus is use each line on the abacus instead of ones and tens and hundreds and thousands. We can use each line on the abacus to represent an area of our life, if you will. So areas of our life like finances or health or relationships or professional career, those are all different areas or different life domains you know, of our life. And not necessarily are they all going to have a high rating. Some might rate like a 3 out of 10, and some might rate like a 7 out of 10. And so you could use an abacus to represent every single life domain and give it a rating. And then using some strategies and techniques from positivity, you could look to the areas of your life that are doing well and ask them, you know, why is it going well in this area? And how can I replicate some things that are going well in this area to some areas of my life that aren't going so well? And also at the same time, looking at areas that aren't going so well and going, what's going wrong there and why? And what can I change in those areas to make them more like the areas that I rated higher? Okay, and you have an exercise we can do to practice, right? I use the term serve and return. You use shares and resonates. It sounds pretty similar. Walk me through that. Yeah, this exercise was created with with my coach, actually. And I was actually using it at a workshop. Worked really well because what it did was it helped people start to recognize the emotions that are involved in life, you know, because that's what we use when we're rating our life is we're thinking out of it from emotional perspective, how are we rating the aspects of our life? So one of the ways that we can sort of get comfortable with the uncomfortableness of talking about emotions and leading with emotions and thinking through emotions is this sharing and resonating. So basically what happens, and it happens all the time, sometimes we don't realize it, somebody is sharing a story. And instead of just listening, 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 and just focus on listening, listen, but also focus on how can you resonate with their story. So every time somebody resonates with someone else's story, they're just connecting on an emotional level to something in their story. And is it always personal? So if I were to share a story with you about a frustration I had on the drive home yesterday, and there was this driver who cut me off, blah, blah, blah. Are you listening to my story at the time? Or are you thinking of a time where that happened to you? And maybe another time you might have been the offending driver, that kind of thing? Yeah, almost both. So you do have to listen to be able to resonate. So it takes care of the listening piece already. And then the resonating piece builds empathy and trust and compassion in that communication. I know you're a big Brene Brown fan, right? As, as am I, as am Huge. I. Yeah. We're going to play a short clip from Texas' own Brene Brown on empathy. This is powerful stuff. So what is empathy and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's a, it, very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions very diverse professions where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. (laughs) 
recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, climb down. I know what it's like down here. And you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, (laughs) it's bad, uh uh-huh. No, you want a sandwich? Um, Empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time, because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. At least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. (laughs) John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. So there's a couple things I take away from that clip. Uh, First thing is, the lovely thing, actually, is that we are all wired for empathy. Often I get people in conversation telling me, you're either empathetic or you're not. But the truth is we all have the bones and the capacity and the brain connections to be empathetic. And the reason why we know that is because of exactly what she's saying. We often want to fix things for people. And sometimes we go to fix to solution first. But what we need to do is feel first. And the fact of the matter is we all feel emotions, whether we're aware of it or not. So when we connect to our emotions, it allows us a way to connect with others. And that's what she's saying. So my motto is feel it before you fix it. It doesn't mean we never fix it, but let's feel it first, you know? Okay, you've got me thinking about an old story. Um, This is back in the 90s, and and I'm just not someone who brings many problems to a boss at work, which is, is part strength, part weakness for sure. But I had an instance back in the 90s where I had an issue And the issue was in part with the boss that I had at the time. And I I sat with him and I'd rehearsed this. I explained it as best I could. And he looked at me and he said with great intensity, I hear you're having trouble with this. And I was right ticked off at his response. I remember I just immediately responded, I know you can hear me. I'm five feet away from you. What are you going to do about it? Sometimes the I hear you can sound quite textbook. And so I think it does come down to whether or not the I hear you is heartfelt. Is it genuine? Do they really mean it? Or are they just using a tactic that they learned in a management manual? Right. So maybe I was a little harsh on him at the time, simply getting upset even more because he was giving me such a textbook answer. 
I have a hard time framing things as right or wrong. I'm learning that it's not just right and it's not just wrong, right? That was your approach because that was how you felt. And it was the, the mode in which you chose to communicate how you were feeling. And then he chose a response mode. And so the emotional intelligence can come to play when we understand more our choice and how we are responding and the other person in turn choosing more of a choice in their response to our actions, our words, our voice. I think he was buying time to think. I think he simply wasn't used <laughs> to me bringing a problem to him. And that's another thing is why can't we say, oh my gosh, I really don't know what to say in response to what you're bringing up right now. A cynic would say, why do we have to connect? Why do there have to be participant badges and rainbows and good vibrations? Why don't you just do what I tell you to do and I'll compensate you for it appropriately? Who likes to be told what to do all the time, Doug? <laughs> just tell me the answer. <laughs> then life would come with a textbook. You know, it doesn't. Life came with emotional expression and emotional experience. And that's messy stuff. We don't know how to navigate that. <laughs> There's that darned human part of the public relations again. Okay, here's the penultimate question on positivity. How do you prove ROI for it? Whether it's a concept being brought into the workplace or, or just into your life, how do you prove it's an investment well spent? I get that response all the time. People think it's fluffy, you know, or kumbaya. Um, but okay, I know your wife, Doug, you know. Yes, know, you do. Yeah, I know your wife. I just happen to know her. Lovely. Uh, you love her, right? Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. I know you love her. and But how do you know you love her? It's just something that you feel. It's not something necessarily that you can quantitatively measure, right? And that's the thing here is that we can qualitatively measure this stuff because it's stuff we feel, but it's hard to attach a number to it, but it's, it's growing. It is called warm data. And it's something that we feel. We feel it in conversations. We feel it in connection, just like Brene Brown's clip on empathy. It's something you feel connected to somebody with, right? And so it's really what our relationships are made out of and why we're here as humans to connect with one another. How do we know? Well, it shows up in you know, getting a job done. It shows up in being a better teammate, being a better husband, being a better manager, being a better listener, being a better communicator. That's how it shows up. It's not about, uh, you know, resilience is another thing that comes up often in, in positivity because it's not something that we just keep doing, 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 go, go, go. We got to get it done. It's how do we recharge? You know, if you're a rechargeable battery, you got to take a break and go to the charger and get recharged before you get put back into your apparatus and work again. Last question, and we refer to this in the show notes uh, about the influence of the brain on the body and the body on the brain. Leonard Cohen wrote the song, Come Healing of the Body, Come Healing of the Mind. They absolutely do. They're not mutually exclusive, even though we think they are. And, you know, I follow Dr. Gabriel Maté's work as well. And he specifically has said that unhealed emotional trauma will manifest itself into a disease or an addiction of some kind. And it makes sense. And there's also, you know, evidence about emotions being molecules and they, they happen in our brain and they leave our brain through our brainstem and they go into our body. 
and they show up in molecules in our body that are like injuries, acute pain, you know, joint pain, cancer, stress. I mean, that's it shows up in our body. Yeah, it sure does. Josephine, I'm glad we were able to do this. Thank you for your time today. Thanks, Doug. It's been fun. If you'd like to send a message to my guest, Josephine Tite, you can email her at hello at positivitycenter.com. This episode on positivity seems the perfect note with which to close season one of Stories and Strategies. We're going to take a break now for a few weeks and return in mid-January with season two. If you liked what you heard throughout the season or even just this episode, we're hoping you choose to subscribe to Stories and Strategies and receive updated episodes automatically. We're also hoping you choose to follow and rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts or whatever directory you're listening on. And would you do us a favor as always, recommend this podcast to one friend. If you have an idea for an episode or just want to tell us something, send us a note at info at jgrcommunications.com. Season's greetings, everyone, and thanks for listening.